I remember a song growing up. The sign says, long-haired hippies need a lot of ply. So I stuffed my hair up under my hat and went in to ask him why, you know, signs, signs everywhere, signs. Talk about scenery, breaking my mind. Do this, don't do that. Can't you read the sign? Well, this morning, I have entitled Signs from God is the title of our lesson this morning. This time of year brings the question you've been asked probably many times, what do you want for Christmas this year? We ask others. People have asked us. You ponder. We ask our children, our grandchildren, our spouses, our friends to give us a list of items they want for Christmas. I always love, I gotta love my grandchildren, those 21 year olds and the almost 18 year old. You say, what would you like? And they always say, well, Papa, how much do you plan on spending? And I says, well, just send your list and, you know, but, but be realistic because you know that, you know, I'm not a rich man. And so I love it that they start sending me you know, because I guess they know, I says, if you want to be specific, so I get exact websites and, and so on. I'd like to start this lesson this morning by asking you, if you could ask for just one thing this year, anything, anything you want, just one thing, what would it be? What would it be? No, no, no cost, no matter of the cost. What would it be? I decided to look at the internet for some expensive gift ideas. And this is some of the things I came up with. Your own personal island. I guess there's some islands in the Pacific that you could get your own personal island. A luxurious mansion. There are London mansions that you think about. A trip to near space is now available that you can actually go up to a, a like a hub or a space shuttle type thing and and you can actually travel up into space and see what that's like a new car of your choice any choice that you like i saw somebody listed a 1963 ferrari 250 gto i'm not a car guy but it sounds like these people yeah that's a pretty cool car somebody says an all expense paid vacation Anywhere you want, all around the world. Just go to wherever you want to. Visit what you want to see. Somebody else has said, a Neiman Marcus limited edition motorcycle. And they say, it's fast. A Victor and Rolf perfume. You know, I see these French perfumes that are listed. Or maybe a Lang one, I don't even know, these are Torbillion 25th anniversary watch. You know, people talk about Swiss watches and some people like jewelry. Maybe the world's most expensive bottle of wine, etc. The list goes on and on and on. I will give you my answer at the conclusion of today's lesson. I'm sure that as you look around this week, you will see more and more signs of Christmas rapidly approaching. And what I want us to consider this morning is signs sent by God. The Bible contains numerous passages that are signs from God. These signs can take various forms and are often seen as a means through which God communicates with humanity. I'd like to give you a few examples. 
When you think of natural phenomena, the Bible describes instances where God uses natural events to convey messages. For example, I think the biggest one I can think of is the parting of the Red Sea. Pretty impressive. We see that during the exodus of the Israelites. It is seen as a miraculous sign, as you can read in Exodus chapter 14. Also, for you mathematicians, God stopped the world for a short period of time. And they talk about that you can go back in time and see, and they can actually measure that. Jesus walking on water. There are so many different things that we see. We have dreams and vision. God communicates with individuals through dreams and visions. In the Old Testament, Joseph and Daniel are known for interpreting dreams. And in the New Testament, we know Joseph, the husband, eventually of Mary, receives messages from God in dreams. We have miracles, as like I talked about the walking on water, the healing of the sick, the raising of the dead, the turning the water into wine, are often considered signs of God's intervention. And there were miracles performed by Jesus throughout the entire New Testament to show who he was. But yet often, people asked for more signs, didn't they? We know King Herod, after all Jesus did, show me a sign if you're really the son of God. I'm sure Jesus had to be thinking, where have you been? Haven't you seen all that or heard of all that has been done? Prophecy, the fulfillment of prophecies is often seen as a sign of God, his guidance, his involvement. The Old Testament contains numerous prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Some people would say, well, what's the importance of the Old Testament? That's one of the ones I would say. It's showing you that in the beginning, God created, and throughout the Old Testament, all the things that were prophesied pointing to Jesus, pointing to what is expected of man. Symbolic acts. In Hosea, God sometimes instructs individuals to perform symbolic acts to communicate a message. For example, the prophet Hosea, or Hosea, Marrying a prostitute is considered a symbolic act of representing God's relationship with an unfaithful Israel. We know there's a burning bush. In the book of Exodus, God appears to Moses in the form of a burning bush, which the bush is not consumed. Any of us, you try that. Try seeing fire, but not consuming. We know God's the only one that could do that. A significant sign. And God speaks to Moses from that bush. The pillar of cloud and fire. During the Exodus, God led the Israelites with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It's pretty cool to look up into the sky. Could you imagine seeing a pillar of fire in the sky? You would know, you know how that got there. And that's found in Exodus 13. God was in the business of providing signs from the very beginning. After the flood, when the rainbow appeared in the sky, God told Noah it was a sign that he would never flood the entire earth like that again. So whenever we see a rainbow, it's a beautiful sight to see, but it's also a sign that reminds us of that promise that God made. 
through Moses and Aaron. God gave us a very dramatic signs to Pharaoh to force him to set the Israelites free. And in the wilderness, during the 40 years that God provided multiple signs of power and guidance and his love for all of those people. So we think of prophecy. He gave the prophets and later the apostles the ability to perform signs and wonders. Since God is in the business of giving people signs, it makes sense that he would give us a sign when it came to the most important birth in human history. We know back in the Old Testament, Isaiah 7 and 14, we can read that therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. A prophecy is a foretelling of the future event. The prophet was given insight regarding something that was previously unknown. In English, when you read a story, they talk about the foreshadowing and talking about what's going to be, and the author sets up the stage. Here, God, hundreds of years before, is setting up what's going to happen in the future. The fulfillment of prophecy would be proof and a sign that God could be believed and trusted. Sometimes a prophecy was fulfilled soon after it was made. Sometimes, as we see here, the fulfillment was hundreds of years later. Like this one, the prophecy was written, from what I understand, about 700 years before it was fulfilled. We are familiar with the angel telling Mary what was going to happen and what was her response. But when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he thought she had been unfaithful to him. Then an angel appears to him and assures him that Mary had done nothing wrong. You can read in Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. And it tells us the angel told Joseph, she will give birth to a son and you will be to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. You think about that message and that sign. If you were Joseph, to take that in, to not only understand that the woman that you're engaged to is going to have a child, and you know that you've had no relation with her, to know that you're going to give him an exact name and the meaning of that name. And to ponder that your son, or at least the son of the woman that you're engaged to, I'd have to say it that way, is going to save the people from their sins. He being included. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So both Mary and Joseph received signs that confirm what they were told. There are other prophecies concerning the birth of Jesus. When the Magi came to King Herod, they told him that they were going to go and worship 
a newborn king. King Herod disturbed him, didn't it? You can read of this in Matthew 2, verses 5 and 6. He asked the chief priest and the teachers of the law where the Christ was to be born. They replied, in Bethlehem in Judea. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be a shepherd of my people Israel. This prophecy is from Micah 5, verse 2. Interesting, there's, there's an added line at the end of this verse in Micah that reads, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Now, wait a minute. You think about what's that saying? You have a baby that's going to be born, but its origins are from older time. Now, you think about that. We can look back our family tree, but there's no way that we lived before we lived. I guess that's like an oxymoron, yeah. But that's what we see here. Some translations say from eternity or from everlasting, which then raises the question to each and every one of us, how could there be someone coming in the future who has ancient origins? But it makes sense when you're talking about Jesus, doesn't it? His birth was not his beginning. It was his beginning in human form, but Jesus existed long prior from the very beginning. It is set out that the odds of anyone in history, now I like the math, think about this for a moment, the odds of any one man in history fulfilling even eight of the 60 major prophecies fulfilled in the life of Jesus, even trying to just take eight of the prophecies spoken not all 60. The probability that anyone else other than Jesus could fulfill even eight of such prophecies would be one in 100 quadrillion. That's a one with 17 zeros following after it. I like to estimate it a different way. Somebody said if you would take the size of Texas, the state of Texas, and you were to take silver dollars, and you were to lay them all over the face of Texas, you would have enough silver dollars to be two feet deep. Two feet deep of silver dollars in the entire state. Then, if you were to blindfold a person, they can start anywhere they want to in Texas, head in any direction and reach down and grab a silver dollar. What is the chances of grabbing one specific silver dollar in all of that? That's the chances that anybody else other than Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. So I think that that would confirm it. The signs are there to provide the evidence that Jesus is the only one who could be the fulfillment of this prophecy. What do we have in Luke 2, verses 8 to 20? If I'm a king, if I'm like Jesus, and we all know that in John it talks about in the beginning, we, you know, we created man in our image. We know that there's references in the beginning, 
the word was with God. Jesus being the word that was with God from the beginning, way back in Genesis. But then he's coming in human form. Now, now think about this. There are shepherds in the flock. We can read in Luke chapter 2. Shepherds in the flock living in the fields nearby, watching, flock over, uh, field, watching over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shines around them. And they're terrified. But the angel says to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good, night, uh, good news, you know, good tidings of great joy. For all people, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born unto you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Now, if I'm talking about the Son of God, if I'm talking about a king, and like King Herod, why is he afraid? Because he thinks it's a king that's going to overtake his kingdom. You're thinking about a, a big royal king. As a baby is going to be born in a stable, in a manger. That just defies logic in human sense. But God purposely does things his way. As we talked about this morning in our Bible study, God has a plan. We don't do things and say, oh, I'm just going to do this. If it be God's will, that will be done. And this was God's will. Signs that we see. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. They didn't doubt. They were told. Now, this doesn't make sense. How many people today say, well, we don't believe in the Bible because it, you know, that's so old. But why would we believe that? These people, as soon as they're told, it defies logic that a baby's going to be born. It's going to be the savior of the world, but he's going to be. You're going to find them in a stable. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger as was prophesied. And when they saw him, what did they do? They spread the word concerning what they had been told. They went out and told others. Jesus goes, therefore, go unto all nations. Be the light, the example. Go and teach others. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, this is a, a mother of an individual that's coming through her as a birth, as all mothers go through. And the ponder, all these things that she's told. The shepherds return and glorify, praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just there and had been told. You know, when you have a baby and you think about the people that come and visit, and you think about, you know, the, you... I'm sure Mary does not know all this is happening. She's told especially of her baby. But then you have all these special people coming just to see your baby. We see their first reaction was fear, the, uh, um, the shepherds. Their first reaction was fear. Why would you say that? Well, I would say it's, I don't think it's fear over the announcement, but it was the fear over the angels appearing. These are shepherds. They're not usually the, in the limelight, as you would say. They're usually, you know, the, the ones that kind of do their thing and, and nobody really notices. So who wouldn't be the fear coming up? So it's not like the, the angel appears to them as a commonplace. In fact, God had 
pretty much been silent for the previous 400 years. So I'm sure it comes to a shock to them, not only because of what they were seeing, but because of it was happening to them. Shepherds were certainly not considered, as I said, to be the upper echelon, the upper class. So the angel calms them down and tells them to be not afraid. He gives them the good news. A savior has been born to you and he is Christ the Lord. That's the good news that will turn our fear, the fear of trouble, the fear of, unknow of the unknown, the fear of death into joy, joy of salvation, joy of the presence and power of the Lord, joy of the future inheritance that we would have in heaven. Then we see that the angels gave the shepherds a sign that you would find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And there would be a distinct sign that you wouldn't normally find a baby in a smelly stable. It's a distinct sign that when you get to the stable and you see this baby, unlike any other baby that we know that's been born, this is a distinct sign that, yep, this is it. God is in the business of providing unmistakable signs. Unfortunately, we know that some people, including us, pass by God's signs. Some people just say, well, that was just a weird coincidence when God's providing. When we take the time to stop and count the many blessings that we have from God, the signs that we have. But the shepherds didn't do that. They believed and were excited. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Notice they didn't say, let's go see if it's true. That's the thinking today, isn't it? Oh, let's go see. I, I don't believe it. I won't believe it until I see it. Doubting Thomas. We know that example. That's a different lesson. They said this thing. They said, we're going to go see this thing that has happened. Before they even got there, they believed that this thing that has happened. The sign was a confirmation. We see this as a principle in other places. When the disciples saw or asked Jesus for a sign, it was understood something or to know what to look for regarding what they would experience. The religious leaders asked for signs out of skepticism. Try that, you, you know what word I mean. They were skeptics and the unbelief asking for a sign when they need clarification in one thing. But demanding a sign, it's one thing to ask and to look for. But demanding a sign in order for God to prove himself is not good. We know the Pharisees and Sadducees did this. They were two rival sects of Judaism in the first century, and they often challenged Jesus with questions that tested his authority and knowledge of God's will. For example, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven to interpret the law or to predict the future and to reveal his relationship with God. They did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah or the Son of God, but rather as a clever teacher or a false prophet. We know Satan tempted Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 and challenged some of his authority, or tried to anyhow. Judas Iscariot, or Iscariot, Judas. Matthew 26, verses 14 through 16. He asked Jesus for a sign when he agreed to hand him over to the Jewish authorities. 
So we think about these, the signs that we have. They all face consequences for their actions. Matthew 16 and verse 6 says, Jesus said to them, watch and be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Matthew 26 and verse 24, Jesus also says, the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Hmm. Pretty strong statement from Jesus. Revelation 12 and 10 to each of us. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. We can learn from our mistakes and avoid falling into the traps. We can trust in Jesus' words and his deeds as significant signs of his identity and of his authority. We also are asked to examine our own hearts and motives when we ask for signs or doubts. Maybe we sometimes got, doubt God's promise. Do we seek God out of love or fear? Do we believe in Jesus as the Son of God? Do we follow him with a faithfulness or a disobedience? We know that the shepherds believed the angel. They followed the sign and they saw the evidence. Because they did this, they experienced a joyous event. They undoubtedly changed their lives forever. Those who ignore the signs miss out on the joys that would change their lives forever also. Someone once said, Although there is truly nothing more desirable than knowing Christ, many people just can't see it. Their eyes haven't been opened. They look in the manger, but they don't see a king. They don't see God's son. They don't see the savior of the world. They don't see the mighty God the everlasting father, the prince of peace. All they see is a baby, an ordinary human being. And so they pass by the child in the manger, and instead they seek the presence and gifts that I mentioned in the beginning. So going back to the question asked in the beginning of the lesson today, which one of these gifts would you ask for? Which do you value more, the toys and trinkets of this life? But we know that they will eventually crumble into dust. Or as the saying goes, you can't take it with you. Or do we relish a relationship with Jesus that will last forever? <clears throat> do you want to find what you're looking for? Find, follow the signs of Jesus. I'd like to close with two verses this morning. You know them both very well. Matthew 3, I mean, sorry, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
The second, Matthew 16, 26. So what has a man profited if he has gained the whole world but loses his very own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his very own soul today? Those are the questions that we need to ask ourselves this morning. What shall we profit? What gift can we receive that we would profit so much, but yet we would lose our very own soul? We know that the gift of the Savior, God has given all that he could, completely. He gave his only begotten son. When we hear that story of Abraham, asked to offer Isaac his only son, you have to get weak in the knees, heavy swallow in the throat to think that a father would have to offer his only son. Fortunately, an angel stops Abraham right at the last minute. We know that no one stopped God. God offered his son for each and every one of us. And that is what we offer today. We offer you. Jesus offers us, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The lesson is yours. If you have any need, you can come forward as together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Wonderful.